Welcome to Streaming Wisdom, a place to discover your very own wisdom being activated through my storytelling. Just like me, you weren't made to fit into this consensus reality that you've quietly doubted your whole life because you are destined to pioneer a new one, shoulder to shoulder with many of us. And it's an auspicious time for humankind right now. So let's find each other and lead the way from our hearts and from the frequencies of real love, true power and wisdom. Consider me a friendly voice by your side, encouraging you as you continue to liberate yourself, express your genius in the world and fulfill your original intention. I hope you're as delighted as I am and have found yourself a cozy corner to relish in this episode of Streaming Wisdom. Welcome to part three of Healing Through Habits. I'm on a roll. (laughs) And to recap, so far we've gone on a little bit of an adventure from how I went from degeneration to regeneration of my body through changing my daily caffeine habits. This dream continues on with rewriting my alcohol and sugar habits. And I will also share why I feel these substances that deplete our vital life force energy are so widely consumed in the first place and why it can be so challenging to break the addictive cycles. Yes, of course, it's not just you. (laughs) You may already know or will soon find out that literally the whole world is against you in this one, in that the tide of popularity for these substances is so high, it will feel almost unnatural to go against the grain. Of course, I will leave you with some simple tips that can help you reevaluate some of these habits if you are wanting to do so. And it's totally okay if not, this path may not be necessary for you, or it could be, but not right now. I'd known about the dangers of caffeine, alcohol, and sugar years before I considered changing my ways. It was a lengthy process for me because I was emotionally dependent on these substances. In some respects, I still have this dependence with sugar. But damn, it feels so good to complete my very unhealthy relationship with coffee and alcohol. It gives me all the hope I need to see this through with sugar. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean abstinence either and denying myself of pleasure because pleasure is a beautiful part of life in moderation and how that's defined is totally unique to you. This whole finding your sweet spot with these substances is something I will dive into during this stream. Speaking of, let's get started. As you'll likely know by now, I went from a raging binge drinking lunatic throughout my teens and 20s to putting my big girl panties on and sitting back to appreciate fine wines, stouts and boutique beers in my early 30s. Thank goodness I scaled back because my consumption of alcohol would have led to an early grave and possibly an excruciating process of getting there. And if you've ever been with a loved one who has passed prematurely from chronic illness, 
(sighs) you will know exactly what I mean. By the time I reached 33, I was like most people I know who had the same habit of drinking a glass of wine with dinner maybe two to four nights a week. And more when I attended special occasions. For the most part, binge drinking was a distant memory that when conjured up from time to time, used to make me cringe at the thought of what I'd done to myself for all those years. Oh, my poor organs. Around two years ago, the fine wines I regularly partook in began to lose their shine. They weren't tasting right, no matter how expensive the bottle was. The fact that I was poisoning myself came to the forefront of my taste buds rather than the subtleties of whatever type of oak, chocolate or berry undertone heralded on the bottle. Before we continue on my journey from part two, I want to pause here and share a few things about alcohol that we seem to conveniently forget, or at least I did. One, alcohol is a depressant. And not in the sense that it causes depression, although it actually does in a seemingly unrelated manner, but that it's a central nervous system depressant, meaning that when you consume it, it slows your brain functioning and neural activity, affecting you physically and psychologically. It also depresses your breathing and your ability to move oxygen around your body. Hmm, now that can cause fatigue among many other things. I'm sure you can imagine that by drinking regularly, one greatly impacts some essential functions of their body. The accumulative and long-term effect must be considered when drinking an innocent wine or beer on a frequent cycle. Interestingly enough, I am depressed when I drink alcohol, and because I've been drinking most of my life, I thought that depression was my true self. Turns out, Alcohol played a major role in my case. It was hard to spot the impact too, because when I drank alcohol and experienced the release of dopamine in my system, of course, I felt pleasure and began to relax, the furthest thing from feeling depressed. But getting used to that release of dopamine in my system made me unhappy and depressed in the long run. I would reach for a glass without ever considering what pleasure I was seeking. We are creatures of habit. If we rely on something to make us happy and honor that request regularly, we effectively retrain ourselves and unknowingly create expectations, all the while ignoring what truly makes us happy. Next, alcohol is a poison. That's why there's something called alcohol poisoning, something I'm familiar with and vividly described to you in part one of this mini-series. It's a highly toxic substance that terminates life, that kills cells such as microorganisms so effectively that we use it to preserve and sterilize. What can become of one who regularly drinks a substance that kills cells? Imagine the impact on your gut microbiome as one example. Moving on, alcohol alters you. It alters how you think, your emotional state, and certainly how you behave. So consumption of alcohol regularly means you are altered from your true nature regularly. Why would I not want to be myself? Why would I keep me from being me? 
Just these questions alone showed me exactly why I drank alcohol. I wasn't completely sold on the woman staring back at me in the mirror. And trust me, I didn't know this at the time. But it's crystal clear to me now that when I started to love, honor, treasure, forgive, encourage myself, say nice things to myself, be gentle on myself, I noticed the desire for alcohol decreased over time to a point where I only wanted to celebrate and often through social expectations and habit. Moving on, alcohol is a leading cause of death. This is through both chronic conditions and fatal accidents. But as I'm streaming about vitality and wellness, let's look at the long-term effects on your body. Alcohol is a known carcinogen, a cancer-causing agent linked to innumerable diseases in various organs and systems, including your heart, stomach, liver, and pancreas. Alcohol causes high blood pressure, strokes, and heart disease, liver disease, digestive issues, a wide range of cancers, general weakening of the immune system, learning and memory difficulties, including dementia, mental health problems, including depression and anxiety, not to mention all the many social, relationship, family, employment, and destruction of property issues. The Australian guidelines for alcohol are up to 10 standard drinks per week, including no more than four in a day, for healthy men and women. First, who's healthy? Who are they comparing this to? Because there's not many exemplary people, at least past their 30s. And those who are models of health and wellness in my field steer very clear of government health guidelines. Like completely. I'm definitely not talking about someone who eats food by the food pyramid and trains a lot and has a sporty figure. Oh no, I'll be going deep into that topic in the future. A healthy person doesn't just look good, they feel good from the inside out. Like I actually feel how well they are when I'm in their presence. They are vibrant, radiant, heart-centered, peaceful, energized, and have natural zest for life. Mostly, their song or the frequency they emit is one of a healthy human and it feels so good to be in their hum, (laughs) in their beautiful song. It feels loving, nurturing and really safe to be around them. But I digress, back to the Australian guidelines. The second issue I have is that if you were at the prime of your health, living alcohol-free and suddenly started drinking according to those alcohol guidelines, what do you think would happen to you over time? If I chose to drink three nights per week, two of those occasions included four standard drinks, which are all in the guidelines, I would be tired and lethargic all of the time. I would wake up each morning feeling foggy, groggy, and emotionally and mentally challenged. I would get sick regularly, find that I'm tender to the touch, and would feel miserable. Now, if I were to regularly poison myself this way every week for years, then some of the diseases from that very long list of alcohol risk factors could very well become my reality. I don't need a study for that. (laughs) I know my body well enough. Over my life, I have observed many people who drink about 10 drinks a week, at least that I know of, 
who would never even for a second consider that they had an alcohol problem because of the guidelines, right? (laughs) According to the guidelines, they don't have a problem. They probably just feel a little guilty on the odd occasion they drink to excess and wake up with a terrible hangover. But generally, they are experiencing all of those symptoms that I just described and are writing it off as a busy life, stressful job, or aging, whatever it may be. And I'm saying that's not your natural state. You don't have to feel like that. It is a choice. To me, that is the timeline of premature death, not natural aging necessarily. Now, these people are generally not thriving in health and wellness, similar to coffee drinkers. And of course, there are many other contributing factors, but there is a theme as far as I can see. The other issue is they may find it challenging to give up regular drinking for a period of time because there's so much emotional and physical dependence on it. They use alcohol to wind down and relax, to call it a day. So they don't really know how to do that without the booze. And I get why, because I used to find this challenging too. The overstimulation from stress, caffeine, work, and the sense of dissatisfaction in specific aspects of life, whether that be career, relationship, health, home, or finances, kind of required support to wind down each evening and level out my mood. So I guess that's a very long way of saying that whilst 10 standard drinks may not prove in studies to cause many long-term ill effects and may even prove to be beneficial in some studies, but I highly doubt it, these don't account for the impact of the frequency of alcohol, which can create a serious addiction the reliance and need to trigger the release of dopamine to feel happy and relaxed. Hmm, pleasure and a simulated relaxation versus true happiness and peace. I know what I'd prefer. (laughs) Whether people are sticking to the alcohol guidelines or exceeding them, the reality is we have epidemics of all the things that alcohol has proven to cause, along with alcohol addiction we certainly have a problem collectively. I know I certainly did, even with the comparatively small consumption to the average person. And about that, let's get back to my journey of changing my habits. In April last year, I was inspired by a family member to have the month off alcohol and my partner joined me. It was a perfectly timed invitation because we were finding we were less interested in alcohol and much more sensitive to the effects of it. By the end of the month, we felt great, and the habit of drinking wine at home completely ceased. We ordered wine when we went outside for a couple of celebratory meals, and both times felt so repulsed we couldn't finish our glasses. In just a couple glasses of wine, I'd opened a tiny window to heaviness, sadness, depression, lethargy, fatigue, feeling run down and like I wasn't running at Optimum. I could feel that in my future if I continued drinking regularly. But now I had a reference point to my real experience of my body, mind and emotional states alcohol free and I knew what I preferred. For me, the sensation of alcohol working its way through my body feels pretty awful now. I don't like being pulled out of me, out of my natural state. 
I really love my life and all my sensations and emotions, even at their worst. I love my body, even with all its symptoms. I don't want to go anywhere else. (laughs) And I realized why I used to drink, to escape from myself and the very life I had created. So I wasn't left alone in my situation with the most confronting person I knew, and that was me. Of course, on a surface level, I had no idea that any of this was going on. I'd have a glass of wine as a treat to celebrate something, to socialize, wind down, relax, call it a day, draw the line between work and play. But I really got why I drank alcohol from a deeper level. And I will always have compassion for people who do because many of them are in pain of some sort. I hope I have endless patience for them not realizing this because I couldn't see it myself until I was ready. And what it took for me to be ready was years of inner work, personal transformation and coaching to shine the light on what wants to be seen, my shadow self, and to embrace these parts of me instead of rejecting or hiding from them. I call these parts home. I put myself back together again And although I'm not quite whole and expressing all of me, I'm more whole and more me than I've ever been, enough to see my pain, to see my wounds, and see right through my behavior. No more excuses because I know better. And I know that alcohol suppressed my life, my energy, my emotional states, my mood and potential. And over time, it made me severely depressed. In addition, I was much slower on alcohol. My demeanor felt older than what I feel now. Slow to move, get up, change positions, lots of sighing and old person noises. When I stopped drinking, I felt less slow and dense. And again, it felt like a thick fog had lifted from my being. I felt lighter, mentally and physically clearer and less groggy each day. I'd lost all interest in drinking because I started to feel good. And I had even more energy since giving up coffee, as though my fuel gauge increased yet again. And besides all the amazing health benefits I got from this, which I will go into, the quality of energy I feel in myself is so different to the woman who drank alcohol. It's really challenging to describe, but it just feels so amazing and clear and clean. I can feel it in myself and in other people. There's just this vibrancy there that wasn't there before. And it's really amazing to know myself without this thick, foggy cloud that was hanging over me that I thought was a part of me. It wasn't. It's not who I am. Goodness, it feels good to shake that off as well. My mood was the biggest change. Whilst drinking very little alcohol, but regularly, I woke each day relatively unhappy as I battle with my negative mental chatter flooding my awareness and throughout the day, my inconsistent mood and bouts of depression. And I was always this way, at least it crept up over the years, so I couldn't even tell I had an issue. I thought that's who I was and it was a relatively normal way to greet a new day. But all this seemed to ease quite quickly when I stopped drinking alcohol, although not entirely. But I did wake up smiling many mornings, really excited for my day, 
Most of all, I was happy and in a favorable mood most of the time. Now, when certain things pull me out of that happiness, it doesn't take me down and out for days, weeks, and months on end like they used to, where I would often plummet into a deep state of depression. When I go through an internal process and there's tears, doubts, dread, upset, or frustration because I'm fighting with my reality, I seem to have a much better mood as I navigate the experience. That all noticeably changed over a year ago at the end of my first month of alcohol. And of course, I acknowledge all the other contributing factors that helped me improve my state of being and to feel peace within. Perhaps this time giving up alcohol has been much easier because I've addressed many of my core wounds as I began my process of turning inside out, of reclaiming and expressing all of me. So much changed for me as a result of all my inner work. In the evening, when I would normally want a glass of wine, I was no longer left alone with a woman I barely knew, whom I doubted in her abilities and sometimes even despised, or at least said nasty things to without realizing it. I wasn't left alone to consider a life that I was resisting and a reality I was fighting against. I was no longer coming home from a week of bullshit commuting to and from a job that I only really did for the money and to a home or relationship that wasn't quite a match for who I was becoming. I was no longer sitting down at night looking for anything to distract myself from my pain, both physical and emotional, and my own boredom, unfulfillment, inauthenticity, and bottled up potential. When I was truly ready... Giving up alcohol was a bit of a breeze because I had worked on so much other stuff that instead of this being an excruciatingly difficult habit to break, it slipped away from my life effortlessly, becoming the next simple step I had to take, the choiceless choice. Continuing to poison myself was much harder than attempting to stop, for I did this for many months until I could no longer possibly continue this habit. This habit nagged at me every day. No wine or beer ever went down my mouth without feeling the impact. I became so present to how my body responded and the truth was, I didn't like how it felt after alcohol. I thought I did once, but I just had nothing else to compare it to because I hadn't reached this state of peace, clarity, clearness, energy and zest for life naturally. Now that I had a taste from time to time, I found it hard to continue habits that sent me backwards into a past version of myself. But that's not to take away from the multiple attempts to give up alcohol in the past. Oh, that was so challenging. I went a little crazy. I kind of lost myself because I had my identity wrapped around socializing and drinking. Drinking took up so much space in my life that I struggled to live without it. So if you're going through a similar struggle, I want to acknowledge how challenging it can be, especially if you're not quite ready to let the habit go. This humbles me as I consider a much more formidable habit that I'm still dancing with today, and that is sugar. (laughs) My sugar intake has shown me there's still some voids within that I'm temporarily plugging up with sweets. And I acknowledge that I have come a considerably long way in reducing my sugar consumption, 
to a point that's made a huge difference in my life and health and wellness. I've come leaps and bounds, but I have a high standard for wellness and know how detrimental sugar is to our bodies and still feel that I can and will do better with time. And the more I place my awareness on this, the closer I come to finding my sweet spot in relation to sugar, as I did with caffeine and alcohol. So before I get into all of that goodness, I will say a few things about sugar and what happened when I reduced it from my diet. Too much sugar can cause weight gain, tiredness, acne, and tooth decay in the short term. In the long term, it's much more detrimental. It's associated with gum disease and chronic illnesses such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, and heart disease. And the long-term impact is the sneaky one. It's all the little things that we do every day, adding up over weeks and months and years. Sugar literally makes your organs fat. I'm sure you've heard of fatty liver from alcohol. Well, sugar triggers your liver to store fat, leading to a rather newish condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Excess sugar consumption causes inflammation and oxidative stress, increasing the risk of cancer and premature death. Excess consumption causes the arterial walls to get inflamed and grow stiff and thick, putting pressure on the heart and circulatory system, which can cause high blood pressure, heart failure, heart attacks, and strokes. Eating too much sugar causes your body to stop responding properly to insulin, a term called insulin resistance, and as a result, your pancreas pumps out even more insulin. Continuing this way can eventually cause your overworked pancreas to break down and your blood sugar levels to rise, which is how many people end up with type 2 diabetes and heart disease. And how does this impact your mental health? Well, when sugar is consumed, opioids and dopamine are released, triggering the pleasure center of the brain. The long-term effect on these daily spikes can lead to depression. Ah, it's always a little confronting to be reminded of the impact of sugar. What's even more confronting is how much sugar is consumed by the average person sticking to the standard Western diet and then how much the health-conscious person consumes, which is still way too much in my opinion. And that was me, totally fooled into thinking I was being healthy, not realizing how much sugar is found in grains, fruits, and even some vegetables. A smoothie or vegan raw treat made with fruits, honey, or dates instead of processed sugar is still sugar. It just comes with some other benefits, but it's still adding to the daily sugar intake, and I was certainly overdoing it. And I have to say that however the body translates excess sugar versus a naturally forming sugar in, for example, honey or maple syrup is probably scientifically the same. (laughs) I don't really know. But on another level, a more subtle, even energetic level, I feel like the sugar formed naturally in whole foods has a whole different energy to just excess processed white sugar. So to me, it's not exactly the same, 
but I was so far into denial that it was dangerous for where I was. I was eating as much sweet food as I wanted to because it was all from whole foods and naturally forming, but it was still way too much sugar. And it's so damn sneaky. (laughs) I used to meet my friends every week at the same cafe and have a savory croissant. Then again at the weekly farmer's markets and have another croissant or some other grain-based breakfast along with a huge smoothie full of enough fruits to last a week. Then I'd have dessert maybe once a week or some chocolate along with smoothies that I regularly made at home, all high in sugar. I might have a cold-pressed organic juice at least once a week along with sipping on a large bottle of kombucha or kefir water and the list goes on. I'd eat sourdough toast and regularly cook pastas, rice and other grains. So many carbohydrates and sugar. When I realized this, I started altering my diet and lifestyle. I stuck to a better breakdown of vegetables favoring ones with low sugar and carbs. For months, I steered clear of all grains and dried or raw fruits unless they were berries, grapefruit, lemons or limes, which are much lower in sugar. And that sounds kind of simple when you say it, but it basically means you will rarely find a food or beverage on a cafe menu that meets those requirements. Pretty much everything is off the list, including what you'll find at a health conscious cafe. I ate mostly at home, a diet of plenty of greens, salads and cooked veggies, and in smaller quantities had nuts, animal fats and protein, butter, cheese and milk. I drank kale, parsley, berry, and citrus smoothies with no sweeteners or fruits, dates, or honey, and thought I would hate them. (laughs) But as soon as my body got what it truly wanted, my taste buds quickly changed, and I started craving them. I stopped all snacking, and that did wonders for my emotional dependence on food, by the way. (laughs) And I ate mostly two meals a day, sometimes three, And this was all to reduce the frequency of my insulin being spiked throughout the day. My body went into a state of ketosis, by accident by the way, I didn't realize till I was halfway through the keto flu and someone enlightened me on what I was experiencing. And I stayed in ketosis for some time because I loved the way I felt. I couldn't believe that all my life, this full feeling I had after a meal was considered normal. And now I can't stand that feeling. It wasn't a sign my belly was full. I was bloated and uncomfortable because I was eating food that wasn't really what my body wanted on a regular basis. Now I eat foods that my body loves to digest where I feel totally satisfied after, but not bloated, not full, not uncomfortable Unless, of course, I'm in feasting mode, which I'll explain later. (laughs) But goodness, it feels so nice to feel really clear and clean and light after a meal, yet satisfied, and to not need a nap. I saw many changes in my body over the few months when I did this. I lost excess water retention and weight around my belly. My face cleared up, my digestion improved along with my sleep, mood, my energy levels, and I stopped needing a nap every single day, which is something I had done for years because if you remember from part one, I shared that my energy gauge felt like it was running on a quarter of a tank every day 
instead of starting at full capacity. This was incredible. It was like clockwork. A week or so giving up sugar and I had loads of excess energy to last the whole day. I started to feel sad when it was time to go to bed in this beautiful way that reminded me of what it was like to be a child. And I think that's because I was eating and drinking to my design. And of course, there were many other contributing factors, but it was like all I had to do was make that extra tweak and cut out the sugar after the alcohol, the caffeine, and all the years of inner work and aligning myself with my purpose and becoming more me. And then suddenly it was just like, wow, I really love my life. I get so much done each day. I have all this energy and I don't want to go to bed. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Since then, I've stopped intermittent fasting and brought back small amounts of grains and sugar in fruits and the odd dessert. My old symptoms have not yet returned, which is great, and my energy levels remain quite high. But I will see because I'm still experimenting with my sweet spot when it comes to sugar. Now, everything I've shared is my way. (laughs) It doesn't mean that it's your way, not at all. I'm showing you how I cleared up sugar in my diet and the impact it had on me. And I want to acknowledge that all of the habits I've altered could sound rather challenging. They certainly did to me years ago. And I know I used to think people who fasted and avoided coffee, alcohol, and sugar were hardcore health freaks, totally obsessed with their body and lacking balance, and also denying themselves the pleasures of life. I never wanted to be like that. And after experimenting with all these things, I don't think I'm unhinged or unbalanced. I feel as though I've found a wonderful dance between feasting and famine, a natural phenomenon that humans have endured only up until recently, where coincidentally our health epidemics wreaked havoc through society. Humankind have always endured cycles of feast and famine, We are meant to go through times where there is less and times where there is plenty. Today, the most affluent countries have plenty. Everyone can eat excessively and people do this a lot of the time, especially the foods and beverages that seem better suited for times of celebration, not everyday use. Last week, I had a croissant, my third one this year, and a black tea, also my third one this year, So I'm not going without grains and caffeine entirely. I'm just not having it in my regular diet anymore. That is called celebration, the feast, instead of having these things every day or week. Which for me, fast became an addiction with the undertones of pleasure-seeking and gluttony. I've realized it's what I do 95% of the time. If I predominantly steer clear of poisons and sugars and other nasty habits and then thoroughly enjoy them on the rare occasions, I feel friggin' fantastic, body, mind, and soul. I've tested this and it's my truth, at least right now. When I'm indulging 100% of the time and stuck in some seriously bad habits, I feel sick, tired, and have a whole host of other symptoms that flare up. And I know my body isn't happy, 
It's not able to heal and regenerate to its full potential. And I'm accelerating my own aging process rather than living out my life naturally. I'm sure there will be some purists who think that's still too much. And then in the opposite end of the spectrum, those who think I'm batshit crazy and totally denying myself the pleasures of life. That's okay. I'm experimenting with my happy place where my body is in agreement with my choices. This is all to get you wondering about what your happy place might be beyond programmed behavior, the vicious cycle of dopamine hits and automated eating habits. And also to show you that you don't need to launch into abstinence and denial of some of your pleasures either. But before I meet you out in the field beyond right doing and wrongdoing, I must address the elephant in the room. The dangers of caffeine, alcohol, and sugar are very well known. So why do people continue these habits every day with such devotion? These habits seem to have a way of gripping my mind and wiping my memory like a clean slate. Everything I've learned or known through knowledge and experience suddenly becomes forgotten and I care less and less about the dangers as time goes on, until I remind myself again. Like, I know what the fuck these things do, so why do I conveniently forget until I stumble across some information or have an experience in my body that tells me yet again, oh, that's right, when you eat sugar and drink alcohol, you get inflammation, excess fluid retention, cystitis, you feel groggy and tired. (laughs) When you drink coffee, you feel anxious, nauseous, stressed, and suffer severe headaches. And any of those substances greatly affect your energy, your hormones, your sleep, your happiness. And I say this to myself again. (laughs) Why do I forget this? What more proof do I need? Well, first, I want to give you a little bit of hope before I continue on with this topic in that it gets easier and easier. And the trick is to keep reminding yourself. (laughs) But anyway, it turns out that our unconscious programmed behavior overrides logic pretty much all of the time. You may hear enough reminders to get motivated temporarily to make changes, and even if you succeed, you may inevitably find your way back to where you started through time and forgetting. The habits just slide right back in. Why do we willingly sabotage our health, wellness, longevity, and happiness? One, it goes to show how highly addictive these substances really are, That alone should be a huge warning bell. These substances have at least one thing in common. They trigger the release of dopamine, like it does when ingesting heroin and cocaine. It's the neurotransmitter that's associated with pleasure and satisfaction. And if we aren't truly happy, we seek pleasure. And if we keep giving ourselves pleasure, we forget all about true happiness. Pleasure isn't happiness. And you know what? It's probably the exact opposite. What if our search for pleasure has made us unhappy? Because we can get pleasure at the tip of our fingers, literally. It's in opening up your phone and checking your vanity metrics in a social media app. 
It's in flicking over to another app and buying something because retail therapy is a thing. It's in the rush of caffeine from a coffee. It's in reaching out your fingertips to grab something sweet or anything you put in your mouth that gives you the feeling of pleasure. You know the one. (laughs) But this isn't real happiness. It's temporary And doing this all the time can create an awful habit of confusing pleasure with happiness. I think pleasure is a beautiful, necessary part of life. But are we overdoing it? Just a wee bit. (laughs) The long-term stimulation of the pleasure center drives addiction. And with prolonged exposure, the signal weakens And simultaneously, your tolerance strengthens and you need to consume more to get the same effect. This is robbing us of true happiness. So here we are, unhappy, pleasure-seeking junkies. Just being honest. (laughs) And the second reason why these are so hard to give up. These substances saturate our life from birth to death. How quickly are toddlers and young children getting sugar highs and dopamine hits? How often is sugar used as a reward for good behavior? And as adults, who children watch and mimic because their life depends on it, alcohol saturates all social situations, parties, gatherings, celebrations, work functions, holidays, lunches, evening meals. We begin to see it as a normal part of the process of connecting, Similar to coffee, it's how we catch up. Grab a coffee if it's before lunch, grab a beer or wine if it's after lunch. And when one opens their eyes, they will see a cafe, bottle store, or grocery shop full of sweets on every corner for a reason. Someone wants you addicted to coffee, alcohol, and sugar. And I imagine it's to their benefit, not yours. And speaking of coffee addictions, there seems to be something else going on there, kind of mysterious, an energy that I sense, like a longing aspect for our mother. And I don't just mean our biological mother. In fact, I probably mean more of our earthly mother, a craving to be in connection with her. Is that because we are so far removed from her in everyday life? I don't know. It seems like we're still playing out the role of her babies that need nurturing. I see this in the takeaway coffee lid as our lips purse to take a sip in a way that looks similar to suckling. Now we see progression from breast milk and or milk bottles to baby chinos to takeaway coffee, which is like an adult version of a sippy cup. (laughs) Sorry, you'll probably never unsee that now. So breaking the habit of buying a daily coffee, for those who do, could be much more of an ask emotionally and energetically than it actually seems. I know the first time I gave up coffee for 18 months, I had to buy a takeaway chai every morning because I craved holding that cup and drinking from that lid. And the last major reason that it could be tricky to say goodbye to these substances is that they are repetitively drilled into the population by all forms of media. And that's a powerful influencer. Every second you are on social media, watching Netflix, reading a paper or magazine, listening to the radio, or watching the news, 
you are exposing your subconscious mind to think thoughts and believe certain things that someone else has contrived. This part of your brain is primarily responsible for your actions, choices, and behavior. We like to think we are consciously in charge, but we are not. It has taken years of looking at my greatest fears, core wounding, and discovering my unconscious behavior to shine light on what I previously couldn't see and stop myself in the middle of a programmed response, or at least acknowledge it after the fact. This is to give myself an opportunity to act on my true nature next time, not how I've been conditioned to act. It's taken me almost half an average lifetime to even begin to undo the major programs and condition responses developed through my childhood events and wounding from my home, school, my first jobs, what I absorbed through mainstream education, along with the many thousands of hours of crap I've exposed myself to through the media, and I'm still catching myself out today with my programmed responses, and possibly always will. When we allow ourselves to fall into a state of hypnosis, especially in front of the television, our brains are like putty to the media, large corporations, governments, and other organizations. They know this and they use this power of influence for their agenda. And I don't trust their agenda, not one single bit. Even if they have considered or convinced themselves that their agenda is benevolent, charitable, beneficial, and there to serve you, it's not your agenda. It's not you. And they don't know what's best for you. Their influence is global and all-encompassing. How else can society fall into mass hypnosis and mass formation so easily and quickly? Just repeat the message until it becomes our reality and we parrot it right back. It's all repetitive content. It's all repetitive content. It's all... Just joking. (laughs) Say something enough, it becomes their truth. Tell someone to do something enough, it becomes their behavior. The subliminal programming makes a lot of people a lot of money. Your money and ensures compliance by you. Collectively, this is why we buy specific items, food, beverages, do certain activities, give up our autonomy and sovereignty and behave certain ways. This is how we spend our time and paychecks. But did we choose this of our own free will? It's kind of impossible to tell when someone is making a choice for themselves anymore because mass programming is pervasive and started well before my time. Now, if you look at the subliminal programming of coffee, alcohol and sugar in television media, you may never unsee it again. It is out of control and sometimes rather ridiculous. The last show I watched was set in 1883. There was a coffee scene early on that stood out like a sore thumb. It seemed to have no place in the script at all. For a few minutes, a woman and her niece argued about whether or not a lady can drink coffee. As the woman took deliberate, obvious sips and the camera sure panned in on those. (laughs) 
It seemed like an irrelevant and wasteful scene that did nothing to contribute to the overall story or to the unfolding of the characters. Like I'm pretty sure the niece died in like the next scene. And even in my amateur attempts at editing video and podcast content has shown me how heart-wrenchingly hard it is to leave out precious material. Yet all through TV, I see these seemingly irrelevant scenes that look kind of staged to me. Like lots and lots of alcohol. And you'll notice people will hold drinks and beverages and sip them and all the focus is on the coffee or the alcohol. And then when you're actually looking at what's going on in the show, it seems completely irrelevant what they're saying. It's kind of like all focus and attention hones in on the caffeine, alcohol, or sugar, and not on the character or what's happening in the show. And having said all that, I do acknowledge that I may be slightly blinded by my very unique pair of lenses that I wear when I look out into the world and study things like television media. But then there's a more obvious subliminal marketing. I came across a review called Depictions of Alcohol in Australian TV, Bachelor in Paradise, published in 2020, and that found that across 16 episodes, making up season one of 2018, alcohol content was present in 697 intervals, totaling 70.7% of the entire season. Now, by content, that means scenes containing actual alcohol and implied alcohol references. Is this all a coincidence? Are writers and directors subconsciously including alcohol and caffeine in the script? Or are they just mimicking society's behavior simply to make the show relevant? Or is it deliberate? I guess I would call that brandless product placement. (laughs) There's no actual brand. It's just alcohol in general, coffee in general. But is that deliberate? I sense that like anything, it's probably a combination of all of the above. This reminds me of the blatant use of specific marketing phrases that, in my opinion, help to continue the cycle of addiction. It's hopefully common knowledge by now that when you have an account with a program or app, you're called a user like a drug addict. (laughs) Instagram is an instant gram and you scroll through your feed. The Starbucks logo is a siren, a creature known to lure sailors to their death by the exquisiteness of her song. There's a cafe 10 minutes drive from me called The Daily Dose. And if you miss your daily morning coffee, what happens? You start to detox or withdraw. I mean, it's all in the language, and arguably, there's really no lying or deceit. It's right in front of us and has been there the whole time. I won't say anymore. I'll let media say the rest. Next time you watch any program, see how quickly caffeine, alcohol, or sugar makes a grand entrance. And the next time you're invited to someone's home or an event, Notice how swiftly one of those substances are offered to you. You may come to the same realization that I did, and that is, holy shit, we have a serious problem here. Humankind are addicts, and we don't even know it. I certainly didn't. No wonder we keep getting stuck into the web of these habits. 
And if you want to know just how addictive they are to you, well, you could experiment like I did. Give up either caffeine, alcohol, or reduce your sugar and see what happens. Let's hone in on that for a moment. You may be inspired to reevaluate your daily habits, and I really encourage you to do so because I had such a positive experience myself. Instead of these substances having a hold on me every day, I took back my power and gave my body a chance to express itself and for me to truly listen. My mind was no longer dominating and exerting power over my body. My whole being became a true team, working in unison. And by reevaluate your habits, I'm not saying that they are wrong for you and that you should give them up, not at all. I have no idea what's right for your body. <laughs> your body might be much more resilient than mine. I'm a canary bird. <laughs> You send me into a mine site or a contained space to test the air quality. I'll let you know how it is when I'm flapping on the ground, gasping for air and life. <laughs> and it's not something that I would change either. I love my sensitivity. It has many other benefits and it keeps steering me towards better habits and a better life. What was once my greatest curse transformed from its shadow expression to my greatest gift. My sensitive body used to get me into a lot of trouble with my health. And now because of it, my path has led me to a level of health and wellness that exceeded all my expectations of what's possible. I just had to acknowledge, oh my gosh, you are way more sensitive than the average person. Okay, I'm going to listen. Now I feel young, healthy, well, shiny, radiant, vibrant, mobile, flexible, happy, energized, and I love my life 95% of the time. <laughs> so yeah, we're all different. And rather than telling you what you should do based on my experience, ugh, that is not my jam. <laughs> I'm inviting you to check into how much awareness you have around your daily habits and what it would be like to experiment with replacing them for healthier choices. And the second part of that invitation is why not try going without some of the pleasure-seeking habits and get to know who you are without them? I mean, what have you got to lose? Certainly not money or poor health. You kind of have everything to win by abstaining for a period of time, let's say four to six weeks, Long enough to go without the withdrawal, the detoxing, all those symptoms and break that emotional dependence and then experience what your body is like without these substances. And from this experiment, if you discover that some of your habits were in fact sabotaging you, your energy, sleep, health, mood and mental health, your cognitive function and performance, your memory, your relationships then fuck yeah, <laughs> good for you, that's amazing. You could transcend the cycle of addiction and then introduce only what feels right in quantity and frequency and keep playing with that sweet spot. You can develop a much healthier version of your habit. For example, I gave up caffeine and one of my loved ones gave up coffee only. His regular migraines disappeared 
but he can still drink low amounts of caffeine, what most people would have in one day, but spread out over about a week. I can't really have any caffeine because I get instant headaches and start to feel anxiety. My invitation to you is to discover your sweet spot beyond the addiction and the habit. And I don't think swinging towards the polar opposite is the answer either, that caffeine, alcohol and excess sugar is pure evil, because it creates rejection, making something wrong, denial, and it's just not a clear, favorable energy to be operating from, at least as far as I'm concerned. As much as I can, I operate in the field beyond the ideas of right doing and wrongdoing. And in that place is where I can hold all things as true and false, right and wrong at the same time. So I want to acknowledge that alcohol, chocolate, cacao, coffee, and tea have played a significant role as cultural beverages used for celebration and commiseration alike for a very long time. That's an important thing to be aware of when speaking about these. And it would be really naive of me to point my finger at these substances and say that they are wrong when they are naturally forming a part of Earth's ecosystem. They are here for a reason. They have an important use. I mean, where would we be without the use of alcohol for preservation and sterilization? And poisons that ignite the fight-or-flight response can be really useful at times. It's important that we know how to handle stress, not just avoid it. And simulating a stress response in small contained doses can be incredibly beneficial. I just personally prefer a breathing technique over caffeine, but that's just me. And I'm sure caffeine is putting some pain medications to use when you already have a headache. The problem is having too much caffeine causes the conditions to create them in the first place. So I'm not poo-pooing these substances. I'm sharing with you that I now have a much greater respect for their power and I'm much more conscious of how and when I use them. A story I quite like to tell myself is that everything has a purpose, a genius expression of some sort. This includes all humans, plants, animals, and other beings. And this genius is a benefit to others and worth identifying. We need to see the substance we are in relationship with for what it is. What medicine does it provide? What's its true genius? And if it's highly addictive, toxic, takes from your water, detrimental to health and longevity, and lights up pleasure-seeking centers of the brain, then I would hope that substance is respected and treated in a sacred manner and is used infrequently, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Before I go, I will share some tips to support you if you choose to accept my invitation of re-evaluating your habits and also possibly abstaining for a period of time to really get the full benefit. One, are you really ready to reevaluate your habits? Are you in a favorable place of mind, spirit, and heart that you are strong on the inside and determined enough? Or are you caught in a natural ebb, deep in a process or life-altering experience that's taking all of you? If that's you, 
let this series be a tiny seed planted for another day, if and when you are ready. And if you're feeling ready right now, well, let's continue on. Two, notice the impact of your current lifestyle and habits. You don't necessarily need to change anything just yet. And of course you can, but it can be quite fortuitous to get present to yourself. Notice the first thoughts that flood your mind when you wake in the morning. Are they positive or negative? How's your brain? Do you feel sharp and clear or foggy? How's your heart? What are your overriding emotions? How motivated are you to get out of bed? Do you go straight into busyness and mental lists or perhaps start the day slow and relaxed? Are you exhausted, lethargic or sluggish? So much so you don't even want to start your day. Do you huff and puff and make noises of disapproval that it's morning time? Do you press snooze on your alarm? Is your body energized or weak? Are you in any pain? Throughout the day, check in on your energy levels. Notice your mood and any themes around consumption of habits. And about that, Pay extra special attention to all your physical and emotional sensations before and after ingesting these substances. Check in a couple of hours later when they have worked their way through your body. Now, when your day completes, ask yourself how you feel when you go to bed at night. Are you ready and overtired or gorgeously upset that the day has ended like a child? How is your mood and what are you thinking about? Can you notice these sorts of things for a few days in your current routine with your current habits? And again, during your chosen withdrawal of any of these substances, and of course, afterwards when you have broken the cycle. You can make mental or actual notes about your energy, pain, mood, symptoms, hydration levels, digestion, monthly cycles, if that's relevant, your mobility, flexibility, whatever you desire whatever is important to you when it comes to your wellness. And lastly, be kind and gentle with yourself as you withdraw from highly addictive substances. And I think it helps to remember throughout the process that you don't have to give them up altogether. You're simply doing an experiment as any true biohacker will know plenty about. Every failed attempt is practice and lays another paver in the pathway to mastery. Now for the more practical tips. You don't have to go cold turkey, and I wouldn't recommend it to most people. You can lower your caffeine, alcohol, and sugar intake first to ease you through the withdrawal stage. For example, if you add sugar to your beverage, halve it to begin with. And you can swap high sugar fruits for berries. If you have one glass of wine in the evening, have half or skip every other day. Halve the caffeine you would normally put in your coffee and you can even replace it with your alternatives such as dandelion or chicory. So you go half-half and eventually wean yourself off the caffeine altogether. You're probably wondering about decaf. (laughs) Well, it still contains small amounts of caffeine and the extraction process of that caffeine may use chemicals. And I know many people who get headaches from decaf coffee, and that might be from those chemicals. I don't drink it anymore, but when I did, it kept reinforcing my love of coffee. And it wasn't until I stopped drinking decaf altogether that I completely lost my taste for coffee 
and the love of the smell. So yeah, I think that's really, really important for me because I loved it so much once. And if you really like coffee as well, it may be worth just not doing decaf so you don't continue that hmm, emotional connection. Next tip, when you go out, take tea bags with you so there's less temptation to have a caffeinated drink when the only choices are caffeine. And don't rely on anyone to know what caffeine-free means. (laughs) Like really, (laughs) I'm just laughing because I've had such a funny journey with that. I'll go to a cafe and if they don't have a drinks menu, I ask, what caffeine-free drinks do you have? And their answers always do vary, (laughs) but they mostly just list off a heap of caffeinated drinks, usually starting with green tea and then Earl Grey and then chai. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Then they say hot chocolate or cacao. And I'm like, ah, they all have caffeine components. It's so funny. The last time this happened surprised me the most. They had a drinks menu and they had a separate section called no calf and within that was a list of all their signature teas so I asked what are they and they were green tea (laughs) oh gray ceylon oh my gosh it was hilarious and then the next part and then it had hot chocolate of course and then chai and I said to the woman taking my order oh it says no calf does that mean this chai is brewed on rubus instead of black tea And she looked at me very confused and she said, no, it's brewed on the chai leaf. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's a tea plantation called chai and they pick the leaf and that's where chai tea comes from. Oh my gosh. I wish to tell you in that moment that there was a young teenager standing with me that was just lacking general life experience. But no, this was a woman about 10 years my senior serving in a cafe claiming that chai comes from the chai leaf. (laughs) So I just cut through the bullshit and I said, can you pass me the tea and I'll just check the ingredients. And her eyes widened and her jaw dropped as she passed it towards me. I could see black tea on the list of ingredients. So yes, have a look at everything caffeine contains. It's a lot more than we think. So you need to have your wits about you. And if you're choosing to give up caffeine for a while, you'll need to do your homework. It's in so many things, obviously in energy drinks, but it's in a lot of sodas. (laughs) It's in medication and it's in nearly every drink you'll find on a cafe menu. So some really great caffeine-free drinks are dandelion, chicory, tea chinos, which taste amazing but have a little bit more sugar in them. You can purchase chai tea made on rubus instead of black tea. And one more thing in case it's not obvious, (laughs) green tea is tea. It's the same leaf. It's just picked at a different time. It still contains caffeine. And matcha green tea is incredibly high in caffeine. So I would steer clear of those as well. And the last tip I'll share is that it's really helpful (laughs) to share your intentions with loved ones and let them know what you're going through. Maybe prepare them for 
what you suspect you could be experiencing, like shifts in your mood and feeling upset and maybe not offering those substances to you. (laughs) Set up some healthy boundaries to begin with and get them on your side, at least supporting you. And if they're really, really excited, they may want to come along for the ride. They may be equally inspired to have a break from that substance and see what happens to them. If that's the case, check in with each other regularly. You could set up a message thread or a group on whatever apps you use. You can spend time together while you're going through some of the most challenging hours and come together and get creative about how you're going to replace your habit with a healthier one. It's really fun to experiment. (laughs) Lastly, if you wish to maintain abstinence or at least break the regular consumption of caffeine, alcohol, and excess sugar, it's easier to maintain a healthier lifestyle when your heart is happy and your soul is fulfilled. So working on you and your happiness is a key part of the process. Actually, it's vital. (laughs) Otherwise, you may rely on your pleasure-seeking vices instead and then wonder why you can't beat them. Who knows? One thorn in your side might be the overriding reason why you reach for a glass of wine in the evening. The old saying used when rejecting a spoon of sugar no thanks, I'm sweet enough, (laughs) used to annoy me, but is kind of true. If your life is so sweet, you don't need to seek as much pleasure because happiness is your overriding experience. So it might be a good idea to look at the areas of frustration, upset, or distress in your life, the thorns in your side, (laughs) and become present to these, especially when you go through this experiment. And know that if they are coming up, they are for one reason only. They are leaving your field for good. And yes, it may take some time. It might be a process. But if they're in your field, they are ready to go. So imagine what comes up when you start giving up these substances. (laughs) I've spoken to someone who actually said, I realized that I was using alcohol to suppress the emotional issues that I hadn't dealt with. And when I gave it up, they all came up and resurfaced. So I think that's a wonderful thing because alcohol was holding those experiences in. And yes, it's uncomfortable when they come up and out, but wouldn't you rather than leave your field for good (laughs) to actually face your deepest wounds and fears rather than living life with them? This is why alcohol and caffeine and sugar and many of these types of substances are so dangerous to us. They limit our ability, our potential. They limit us stepping into who we are really meant to be. They keep us small and dull and and safe, way too safe in our comfort zone. But fuck that, I don't want to be safe. I want to be amazing. I want to live the best life. I want to push through my comfort zones. And I can't do that while I'm lulling myself into a false sense of happiness and security. <sighs> it's good to get that off my chest. Have fun reacquainting yourself with yourself, getting to know all of you beyond your addictive habits and subsequent behaviors, feelings, and sensations. Enjoy the realization of all the symptoms that are exacerbated by these habits 
and the sensations of what it feels like when they begin to ease. Enjoy discovering your natural rhythms beyond the stimulation. And that one is huge. I met a woman today, coincidentally, who has had seven years of caffeine and alcohol. And I was pretty blown away. And of course, again, radiant, beautiful, shining from the inside out, looking incredibly healthy. And a comment she made sounded really true to me. She said that these substances hack into our natural biorhythms and create a synthetic experience of ourselves. Oh, I felt the truth in that. <laughs> I mean, it's all in what she said, right? I don't have to say anything else, but that was my experience. Most of all, have fun replacing old habits with healthy new ones and noticing how your body wants to regenerate. And on that note, I'll finally leave you with a piece of motherly wisdom from my own mother, to be exact. And it goes something like this. We are creatures of habit and very trainable. The trick is to make healthy daily choices for they will soon easily become your new daily habit. Thinking that you can't go without a coffee every day because it's your daily habit is not the truth if you replace it with something else. If you replace that with something else every day, eventually that will be your new habit. And you may say something similar, oh, I can't go without my morning bone broth. <laughs> That's what I have. <laughs> but I actually can um, because it's not addictive. <laughs> but that's my new habit. And you know what's so cool about that is the other day I was walking on the beach and I realized I left my delicious bone broth in the car. And I thought, you know what? Back in the day when I used to take a morning coffee to the beach, I would never have left it in the car. I was like obsessed with it in a way that I didn't even realize. I would make sure I knew where my coffee was and I wouldn't get out of the car without it. And of course, I'm going to walk with my morning coffee. But I left my bone broth sitting happily in the car by itself when I went off for a stroll and a swim at the beach. <laughs> the beauty of that is that I've replaced my habit with something that's not a highly addictive substance that I can't even fathom walking on the beach without. <laughs> so... <laughs> replacing bad habits for healthy ones. And if you need any support with this, feel free to send me an email. Go to grailleadership.earth forward slash streaming wisdom and connect with me there. Thank you for jumping on this joyride, this highly confronting adventure of healing through habits. I'm looking forward to sharing more about wellness in the rest of this season. Wow. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you making the space in your life to tune into this episode of Streaming Wisdom. I trust you enjoyed it so much that you're about to share it with a loved one who may welcome this wisdom being sent their way. So you're aware, I'm not on social media at the time of this release. So if you wish to say hello, ask a question, or browse my current offers, go to grailleadership.earth forward slash streaming wisdom. And the best way to stay in touch is to subscribe on my website 
where you can receive my seasonal email musings and a heads up when new episodes are released. If you have received greatly from Streaming Wisdom and feel an urge to give back, here are my most cherished ways of receiving your appreciation. One is to share an episode on social media or with a loved one. Another is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and reviews are very welcomed. You can also make a financial contribution via the podcast page. Again, that's grailleadership.earth forward slash streaming wisdom. However you contribute, know that it fills my heart and fuels more episodes of streaming wisdom. Thank you again, wise one. See you next time.